0: Hello, and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week I explore something unexplained, talk about what it is, and look at what else it could possibly be. Research is done as academically as possible, and references will be given after the stories. This week, I'm looking at the heist of the Gardner Museum. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is located in Boston, Massachusetts. It's been there since 1903, when Isabella Stewart Gardner first founded it as an art museum. The museum itself holds around 7,500 paintings, sculptures, textiles, ceramics, pieces of furniture and silver objects. It also holds 1,500 rare books and 7,000 archival objects from Ancient Rome, Medieval Europe, Renaissance Italy, Asia, Islamic history, 19th century France and 19th century America. The collections are owned by the museum and not on loan from elsewhere. It also has an extensive conservation project to maintain these pieces. From 1903, the museum was undisturbed, with people coming from all over to view the works within its walls. That all changed in 1990. In the early hours of the morning of March 18th, a vehicle pulled up to the side door of the museum. Two men in police uniforms got out and pushed the buzzer near the door. When it was answered, They told the staff inside that they were responding to reports of a disturbance. They asked to be let into the building. The guard on duty broke the protocol in place and allowed the men into the employee entrance of the museum. The officers asked the guard to step away from the security desk, and he and a second security guard were taken to the basement, handcuffed, And tied up. Their faces were also duct taped so that they couldn't see. Then the video cameras were disabled. For 81 minutes the men in police uniforms went to work in the museum. At 8 a.m. the night guards were discovered in the basement and the police were called. They came to investigate discovering that the thieves had taken 13 pieces of art, worth around $500 million. During the investigation, they discovered that the pieces had been cut from their frames and not removed carefully. None of the pieces have been recovered. The museum had been equipped with motion detectors, so the movements of the men were recorded. The heist took place in three separate rooms. In the Dutch room, they took Rembrandt's Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee, a lady and gentleman in black, and one of his small self-portraits. They also took Vermeer's The Concert, Flink's Landscape with an Obelisk, and an ancient Chinese bronze Gyu, which is like a beaker. They also visited the Short Gallery, where they took five Degas paintings and a bronze eagle finial. The final piece that was taken was Manet's Chez Tortoni from the Blue Room. They had collected so much that it took two trips to the car to take it all. Once they had it all loaded up, the thieves left at 2.45am. In the 32 years since the heist, there have been a lot of questions that are unanswered. They never set off any sound alarms, or if they had, the police were never notified. There were security printouts, although there was nobody available to check them out since the guards were in the basement. The final thing that has been questioned is why they took so long to take the arm. A heist is, on average, much shorter They likely knew that they wouldn't be caught and took their time taking the art. In 2015, the FBI said that they believed that they knew who had done it. They thought it was George Reisfelder and Leonardo DiMuzio who they believed had transported the art to Connecticut and Philadelphia using their crime connections so that they could sell the art on the black market. Reisfelder and DiMuzio both died within a year of the heist, so they could never be questioned. The FBI said that their evidence suggested that the heist was committed by the Italian mob in Boston. Reisfelder and DiMuzio were associates of the mobster Carmelo Merlino. It seems that he and other members of organised crime were excited about the idea that they could potentially be trading stolen art. They thought that they'd be able to get away with it if they got caught doing anything else. Some of them did get caught for other things, but nobody could tell the police anything about the stolen art. The museum still sees the recovery of the stolen art as a top priority and is still seeking leads in the case with the help from the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. They are offering a $10 million reward for the recovery of these pieces, with a share of the reward reserved for information about their whereabouts. There is a separate reward of $100,000 for the Eagle Finial. Due to the nature of the crime and the assumed links to the Italian mob, they have assured confidentiality in this. If anyone does happen to have any information, you can contact the Director of Security at 617 278 5114 or via email at reward at I'll put that in the episode description just in case. To this day the museum has left the frames empty as placeholders for the missing art and as symbols of hope for their return. A heist of this caliber taking place with almost no evidence of the crime itself is bound to have some theories. I'm not here to disappoint. There are theories. There is a theory that the art made its way over to Ireland. A man named Martin Foley, who was involved in political violence in Ireland, had been in negotiations with an investigator Foley had promised that he could find the art and return it to the museum. However, in 2020, he disappeared. He had been hiding from a threat to his life after the Gardaí, the Irish police, tipped him off. So the investigator, Charlie Hill, has hit a snag. He believes that the art is in Ireland and that he can make a deal to return it. His theory is that it could have something to do with Martin Cahill, an old associate of Foley's. Cahill is wanted in Ireland for unpaid taxes and Hill has received an anonymous tip that the art was indeed shipped to Ireland after the heist. The head of security at the museum also has a theory of who it could have been. He had received a tip to look into the murder of Jimmy Marks. Marx was a career criminal and was gunned down 11 months after the heist. He was unlocking the door of his apartment. It was believed to be a mob hit because the light bulb above the door was unscrewed, so Marx wouldn't see his murderer. According to the tip, Marx had been heard bragging about being in possession of some of the missing art. Marx was also known to have connections with people who were initial suspects of the heist, but it's unknown what role he would have had. He had known Bobby Garente, who was the prime suspect in the heist. It's possible that Garrente murdered Marx, which is held up by an interview with his wife after his death. One theory suggests that the heist was an inside job, One of the guards had let someone in the night before the heist, through the same door he let the thieves in. He had opened one of the doors in the back of the museum earlier in the night as well, and told investigators that it was something that he did often. He was a suspect early in the investigation, but he has always said that he had nothing to do with it. He was never ruled out as a suspect though. One of the lead investigators said that he believed that the thieves didn't have any prior knowledge that they would be let into the building, though. The entrance they came in through is known as a man trap. Two sets of doors that need, need to be buzzed opened from the inside. If someone was suspicious, the thieves could have been indefinitely trapped between the two sets of doors. Another theory states that the art thief, Miles Connor, had something to do with it. Connor was a musician by trade, but also had a reputation as an art thief. He admitted to casing the Gardner Museum, but he was in prison at the time of the heist. However, rumours still spread of his involvement. Another art thief suspected was Brian McDevitt. He was a screenwriter at the time, but had previously been a notorious art thief. His fingerprints were some of the first to be sent to the FBI after the heist. The Gardner heist had some parallels to McDevitt's 1981 attempted robbery of the Hyde Collection in Glen Falls, New York. During that attempted heist, McDevitt and a partner hijacked a FedEx truck and posed as FedEx employees to gain access to the museum. They had handcuffs and duct tape with them, but got caught in traffic and arrived after the museum had closed. They were identified later by the FedEx driver they had kidnapped and were arrested for it. McDevitt had been in Boston at the time of the heist. He then moved to California shortly afterwards. He was questioned by the FBI and even went before a grand jury. In 1992, a former girlfriend of his claimed he had told her that he was paid $300,000 to rob the Gardner Museum and that he had to leave the country. One of the most prominent gangsters at the time was working as an FBI informant. This theory is that he was the culprit. James Whitey Bulger had a criminal enterprise that could rival the Mafia. It's speculated that if he didn't have anything to do with the heist, he would have known who did. There wasn't any evidence that linked him to it, though. Bulger was interested in finding the art and attempted an investigation of his own. He intended to use that as a way to get away with some of his crimes. He was arrested in Santa Monica, California, in 2011, after 16 years on the run. And although the FBI found a large amount of money and several guns in the walls of his apartment, they never found the art, nor did Bulger mention them. Another mob boss at the time was Vincent Ferreira from the Mafia. He was in prison at the time of the heist, but he was visited by an associate shortly afterwards who confessed to stealing the artwork to use for bargaining to get Ferreira released. The associate died in 1991, before anything could be done with the confession. The associate appears in more than one theory here. His name was Robert Donati, and Miles Connor said that he had spoken to Donati about flaws in the museum's security system. It's also said that Donati had committed the heist to ensure that Connor was released from prison. There are a lot of people that could have possibly been involved in this heist, and that's before you even add in the actual suspects. The heist seems embroiled in the organized crime that was prevalent at the time. The art may never be recovered, but you never know. It might just find its way back to the museum. The story from this episode came from a page from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum website about the heist and a Boston Public Library blog post called Boston's Greatest Unsolved Mystery, the Gardner Museum Art Heist. Theories from this episode came from an article from The Guardian called The Gangster Vanishes Twist in Hunt for World's Largest Hall of Stolen Art, an article from the Smithsonian called a tantalising clue emerges in the unsolved Gardner Museum art heist, an Oxygen article called Top Theories Behind the World's Largest Art Heist, and an article from the Boston Globe called Six Theories Behind the Stolen Gardner Museum Paintings. References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, links to those and other ways to listen are in the episode description under my link tree. You can currently find me on Facebook and Instagram. Patreon is getting an upload of one of the transcripts each week as part of the £3 tier. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree and, as before, you're welcome to pledge more than £3 a month and I'll find something extra special for the people to do. I do have an email set up on the link tree, but it doesn't actually open a new email, so that's in the description of the episode too. Send me your spooky stories, unexplained events, and anything else you want me to read out. Or, if you have any corrections or issues with things that I've said, let me know, and I'll address them as soon as I see the email. To tide you over, I have re-recorded episodes one to seven, and they have been bought in line, with the most current episodes. So there's background music. and it's They're a bit longer. I speak a lot slower. Um, I did a lot of work. It took me all day. Um, and I will be going through. To make sure that everything is in line. Together. Relatively soon. I don't know how long it's going to take though. But. The next Creature feature will be out on Saturday. And next week's episode. Comes out on June 15th. So hold on until then